Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast, recording live from the bar's annual meeting in Austin, Texas, just a stone's throw from Lady Bird Lake, AKA the Colorado River. It's a river. I know they say it's a lake, but it is a river, but that's okay. Anyway, joining me now, we have a wonderful guest, but I should probably introduce myself. Obviously, as you can tell, I am not Rocky Deer, your regular host, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn. No, I did not. So, but we're going to do it anyway. I'm going to be stepping in just for the morning while he's gone on conference business. But fortunately today, we have a wonderful guest, John Browning, joining us, fresh off a presentation, Blueprint for Building Sustainable Systematic Solutions for an Effective DEI Workplace. John, I have so many questions for you, but uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Excellent. So you've had a really interesting career as we got to, uh, as I got to know you a little bit in the pregame. So why don't we start with that as our opening question. Where do you work? What do you do? And tell us a little bit about your time on the bench as well. Sure. Uh, well, I'm a partner at the law firm of Spencer Fain. It's a Midwestern-based national law firm. I'm a partner in their Plano, Texas office. Great to be back in Austin because I'm a UT Law graduate. So it's always great to be back in Austin. And um, prior to resuming my life in private practice, which you know I've done that for about 30 four years. I was on the bench on the 5th District Court of Appeals in Dallas, one of Texas's intermediate appellate courts, and uh, loved uh, doing that. And after I left the bench in early 2021, it was back to work. But I thought, you know, I really like teaching. And I'd been an adjunct professor at SMU. I think uh, maybe I'd like to do this on a more full-time basis. And I uh, became a full-time law professor. And so I am uh, a distinguished jurist in residence is what they tell me I am. And uh, I teach full-time. I practice full-time. And I do a lot of writing and, and speaking. So that's Three full-time jobs, and that's not really a great way to retire, but that's, uh, that, that's a subject for my wife and I to discuss. Yes, and I, and I think you have a penchant for history as well. Yes, I serve as uh, a trustee, and I'm the editor-in-chief of the uh, Texas Supreme Court Historical Society's uh, journal, and uh, we uh, do a lot of work in the area of legal history, and my, one of my personal passions is black legal history, which uh, I've done a lot of writing and speaking about as well. All right, well, let's get to our topic du jour, the blueprint for building sustainable systematic solutions for an effective DEI workplace. And so let's start with just a kind of a basic question, you know, in terms of the DEI, which is obviously short for diversity, equity, inclusion, workplace, you know, let's define, let's put some parameters around it. What attributes are we looking for there? What are the final goals with that? Sure. Well, diversity obviously is self-explanatory. You know, we don't want to practice in a profession where everyone looks and sounds the same, right? Uh, we want our profession to mirror the society that uh, we serve as attorneys. Equity, obviously, you know, we believe in providing greater equality of opportunity uh, to the lawyers who are going to um, practice here. And in terms of inclusiveness or inclusion, I tend to identify that with belonging. You know, uh, this is not just a matter of, you know, let's bring someone on board because of identity politics. We need to have X number of attorneys of this demographic or that demographic. Uh, let's really bring them on and foster, you know, a sense of, of true belonging. 
Yeah, that last part, that's a really great segue into my next question. It's beyond just the hiring process. It's about the culture at your firm or business. It's the place everybody gathers. You know, in a country like the United States where everybody can come from such diverse backgrounds, that can often be a challenge to have an environment that's welcoming to everybody. So let's talk about that part. So get beyond the hiring part, you know, what what can law firms do to make sure that their offices are welcoming to everybody? Sure. Well, part of it is what law firms are already doing to a significant extent. Uh, 65% of the top law firms in the country have diversity committees of some type or another. 85% of them have written diversity and inclusiveness policies or plans. But we're still stuck in a profession where, according to the latest ABA statistics, about 81% of all lawyers are white. We've only got about 55 to 5.6% black attorneys, about 5.8% uh, Latino and Latina, and about 5.8% uh, are Asian American. So, you know, just one half of 1% are Native American. As a member of the Native American National Bar Association, I find that kind of deplorable. You know, we, in fact, despite all these efforts, and they've been ongoing for quite some time, between 2011 and 2021, the number of, the percentage of black lawyers in our profession actually declined. Um, That's interesting. And, and, and you know, I mean, it's never been, you know, uh, huge, but despite all these efforts, still declined. And so one of the things that I've talked about and identified is that we need to do more than just pay lip service to the idea of DEI. Uh, we need to implement actual action. Well, I'm going to ask you about that as we close things out. But uh, it's a really interesting point that you made right there, you know, just so the underrepresentation. And of course, uh, you know, in the United States, it's uh, one of the things we pride ourselves on is representation. And so when you do have parts of the population that are underrepresented, we're not getting the full voice of the country involved in our lawmaking, but also that that process that gives it its legitimacy. You know, there's that thin line that you have, uh, you know, we're going to follow this law and uh, we don't want to follow that law, you know, and that comes down to, in my opinion, consent and consents based on how reasonable those laws are. And if you don't have everybody playing a part in how those laws are, you know, first of all written, but also uh, as they're implemented and, and enforced, you know, you're just going to have less and less enthusiastic uh, or less and less enthusiasm with following the law. So I think it's a tenuous place you can find yourself in, how thin that line is. But uh, let's talk about the pitfalls, the pitfalls for this. So obviously it can be challenging to have an environment that's, uh, you know, everything for everyone. You know, there are conflicting opinions out there and not everybody wants to do things the same way. So what are some of the challenges and pitfalls that uh, organizations and law firms should avoid when trying to make their, uh, their workplaces more inclusive? Well, one of the things I think they definitely need to avoid is the idea of tokenization, right? Just engaging in identity for identity's sake. You know, you are our black lawyer, you are our Asian lawyer on this committee or this practice group or what have you. Uh, we, we need to, I, I think, take active steps in informing and educating and true action. And that really harkens back to building this pipeline and fostering this pipeline into our profession. There's a lot of things that can be done, in, including 
mentorship opportunities for diverse attorneys who are within your firm. That's a great form of action. You know, accountability, making sure that leadership of the firm is playing an active role in your DEI efforts and is aware of these. All of those are, are great, but it starts so much earlier and it starts long before anyone ever gets to um, a law firm. And that really begins in our schools, educating. You know, when Malcolm X was a, a young man in school, in grammar school, he was asked by a teacher, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, well, I think I'd like to be a lawyer. And the teacher at that time was saying, oh, well, that's not realistic. That's not a realistic goal for someone like you. You should focus on vocational or trade schools. And, you know, we, we need to stop giving messages like that to young people of color. We need to tell them that, yes, this is a realistic goal. This is a viable career option uh, for you. Part of that is educating them uh, on the fact that, yes, you know, um, uh, Americans of color have played uh, a, an important role in the legal profession, you know, dating back, you know, well into the, the 19th century. But we also need true action, and that is helping uh, young, diverse people overcome obstacles, whether that's the lack of financial resources, right? We need scholarships. We need those opportunities. Lack of academic resources, you know, providing the readiness, the academic readiness that they're going to need. You know, that mentorship. Uh, the Dallas Bar Association, for example, has a wonderful program that I was uh, privileged to be a part of for years, and that was the Law in the Schools program, where lawyers would go into the schools. Sometimes we teach a social studies class about constitutional rights or some topic that dovetailed into what they were learning. Uh, sometimes we would just, you know, talk to them about the career track to becoming a lawyer, letting them know what's involved, what are you going to need, telling some of these children, some of whom were at risk for becoming dropouts, that, you know, you, you can aspire to something more. And, you know, some law firms have adopted classes and, and law school, or excuse me, uh, schools. Of course, many of them, you know, provide internship opportunities long before there's even a, a law student, but providing opportunities for high school students, for college students. You know, this, this type of action is, is meaningful and we need more of it. Well, in particular, I like what you said there, uh, as opposed to focusing on the what somebody might be in terms of their ethnic or cultural background, focus on the who. You know, this person yes. is a member of our team and they have a family and a past and, you know, they have goals and ambitions as well. And so I, I like that particular emphasis of that is, is organizations, obviously, they want to focus on the numbers. Like if we feel like our firm underrepresents, you know, people in this demographic versus that one. But, you know, don't just focus on the what, focus on the who. Exactly. So, all right. Well, last question for you, you know, uh, getting started, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, good hearted firms out there that want to do uh, more to make sure that they have, uh, you know, they're implementing DEI uh, initiatives successfully. And so just in terms of resources, uh, you know, where do you recommend they turn first to make sure it's done right and they focus on, on the things that matter and the things that are going to, I guess, ensure that they get the results that they're setting out to get? Sure. There's some wonderful resources that are maintained by the National Association for Law Placement, and they do more than just maintain statistics. Uh, I've relied on their statistics, and it's certainly very helpful, you know, for someone like me, but they're also a wonderful clearinghouse and resource for these type of efforts that we're talking about. Minority bar associations. When you want to know, hey, what can we do that 
would be meaningful, what can we do to help? They're going to be a wonderful conduit through which these efforts can flow and they can, you know, co-sponsor these sort of things, whether that's you know, a a back-to-school drive for a local school that happens to be an inner-city school, or uh, whether that is uh, providing, you know, scholarship programs and scholarship assistance. You know, that's a a wonderful program. Excellent. Well, looks like we've reached the end of our program uh, for today, but I want to thank our guest, John Browning, for joining us uh, today. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. And if our listeners have questions, want to learn more, maybe want to attend one of your classes, where can they find you? They can email me, jbrowning at faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R dot E-D-U. You can also email me at my law firm address, but you may wind up getting mixed up with a whole lot of court cases and emails on that. And that's jbrowning at spencer, S-P-E-N-C-E-R, fane, F-A-N-E dot com. And before we close out, I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Thank you so much, because without you, there's no show, and that's no fun. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or best yet, the place where you get your podcast, your favorite. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Cletty. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.